You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, my name is Jeff Wall, and uh, hopefully you're listening to this through CE Impact. And uh, this is our third week of a weekly podcast trying to kind of detail some big issues that affect pharmacists and hopefully give you some good information and also uh, give you a little CE if you uh, sign up with us uh, for CE Impact along the way. So you kind of get a hopefully a quick dose of, of good learning and, and some CE to show that you did some work as well, which is always really nice. What we'd like to talk about today, um, you know, in an effort to not make this COVID 24-7, I decided to talk about the other big epidemic that was uh, in full force in the United States for several years before uh, the COVID pandemic hit, and that, of course, is is, uh, the opioid epidemic. And um, um, I'm sure many of us have have, have kind of let let that some of that kind of slide to the back of our our brains as we're trying to deal with everything associated with the pandemic. But those people didn't disappear, right? I mean, those, you know, the people with opioid use disorder are still here. They're still with us. Us. They still need our help, and um, I think pharmacists can be in a big role, can play a big role, I think, in in, in helping these patients, and um, I think can also help prescribers and and other people to kind of understand that that in the last ten years or so, we've really started to up our game as far as as the pharmacologic management of opioid use disorders. So we're going to talk, well, you know, just very briefly about about you know, again, not forgetting the opioid use disorder or the opioid crisis is still with us. It ha- didn't disappear with with the covid crisis and i think that uh that we we can't forget these patients as as as, as we're as we're dealing with everything else we're dealing with in our lives we know that that um six percent of patients who are prescribed opioids continue to use them at one year we know that if you uh continue to get opioid prescriptions it does increase your risk um for opioid use disorder and again not trying to 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 be judgmental there are people who definitely suffer from chronic pain for a variety of of issues, but we know now that that especially for things such as low back pain and other kind of chronic non-malignant pain, that opioids aren't all that effective. Right? That paper came out a couple of years ago in JAMA that looked at at uh, ibuprofen versus uh, um, oxycodone and 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 uh, flexoril, and basically found that that uh, um, oxycodone was less effective than ibuprofen was, and actually had more side effects. So we know that 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 the the role of opioids in chronic non-malignant pain is probably less than we thought even five or 10 years ago, but that doesn't stop the fact that there's plenty of patients in the United States who are taking taking these medications for pain, and then they've developed a, a, uh, a concomitant opioid use disorder on top of it. And, you know, if I think every community pharmacist has has stories of, of, of the patients with opioid use disorder they deal with. It is important to remember that, you know, these people do have, have a, a disease and, and we need to, 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 to be aggressive about treating it. And studies have really shown that, that we don't do that. Studies have really shown that 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 um, opioid use disorder patients, um, most of them don't get the help they need. Less than 20% of patients um, uh, who have opioid use disorder are seeking either psychologic treatment or pharmacologic treatment for it, and that's that that number really needs to, to change. And I think while pharmacists um, can't prescribe some of this stuff, and and that's probably not what we want to want to be getting into, I think we can educate patients. I think I think we can educate prescribers that that there are some very effective 
treatments uh, for opioid use disorder. And we can also obviously help uh, other prescribers with things like the, you know, uh, making sure that we don't pass the ceiling of 90 milligrams of morphine equivalents a day, because we know uh, from studies in, uh, in the last five or six years that that increases the risk of, of death from opioids significantly. Uh, if you're listening to me and you're practicing in Iowa, you know that uh, we have a, a, a statewide order from our public health department for, for naloxone dispensing. And again, the data is very clear that inpatients taking chronic uh, opioids, that, that concomitant dispensing of naloxone actually saves lives. And, and, and there's really good data from the East, East Coast on that. And so again, if pharmacists can, can be in a role to at least advocate for the concomitant prescription of naloxone in patients taking chronic opioids, that's a good thing. But if you're in a place where you can get the training and do it yourself, you may be saving a life. So, you know, those are all really important issues. What I want to focus on today, though, is, is, is you know, the pharmacologic treatment of opioid use disorder, which when I came out of school was really methadone. And that was it. And and I'll be honest with you, I hate methadone. I, I, I don't like the drug. Um, it's I know, I'm always nervous of a medication whose pharmacokinetics change the longer you're on the medication, right? And the higher the dose, the pharmacokinetics change, which then obviously makes the dosing of the drug extremely tricky. Um, I've seen plenty of people, uh, you know, have have inadvertent overdoses over the years from 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 methadone use. Uh, plus, it has the added problem of being one of the few opioids that prolongs the QT interval. So <clears throat> there's always issues associated with that and, and patients on other QT prolonging drugs. From an opioid use disorder perspective, patients didn't like it all that much because you, it required daily attendance at, at an opioid use disorder clinic to get your daily dose of methadone. And obviously, if you have a job or you're trying to get a job or anything along those lines, that's just going to be very, very tricky to do. And so really, when buprenorphine was uh, 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 introduced in the United States in 2002, um, it really you know had the potential to, to, to really change the game as far as how we did this. And more and more data starting to accumulate uh, showing the fact that, that that buprenorphine is actually a very good drug for opioid use disorder. And it's something I think we can really advocate for. Now, up until recently, the big problem with buprenorphine was that um, it, it was only available first as an injection and then, uh, you know, pills and stuff like that. And then remember in 2010, they came up with a sublingual film formulation, which made it much easier to use for clinical use and was an alternative to the tablet formulation and stuff like that. Um, but the big problem with that and the and the and the tablets was they were super duper pricey. They were really, really expensive. And the prices really dropped in the last 10 years or so because of, of generic uh, development. And so now we're at a point, I think, where buprenorphine is is a is a good drug and is relatively affordable by most patients who have opioid use disorder. So um, you know the so that that I think you know took a big barrier out of the use of, of buprenorphine for patients with opioid use disorder. Now, of course, we still have some barriers. One of the probably the biggest ones was that up until 2000, um, um, it, buprenorphine uh, um, or methadone, excuse me, uh, could only be dispensed uh, for opioid use disorder by by physicians who had an had an ex DEA license, right? They had, they had an, an, an ex license, uh, uh, which required special training and, of course, the extra money. And most physicians just weren't interested in doing that, and I don't really blame them. Um, in 2000, as we all know, the the, the Drug Addiction Treatment Act um, had allowed uh, for some training and some fairly simple training, actually, a, a few hours training. 
uh, and taking some tests, and you can get a waiver for the for the DEA, uh, DEA X number, and it's called an X waiver, and uh, um, that allowed uh, kind of a, any physician or any prescriber who wanted to use this to try uh, uh, um, uh, opioid use disorder and buprenorphine for 30 patients, and and if after a year that went pretty well, they could apply to to treat 100 patients, and if that went really well, they could apply to treat uh, a maximum of 275 patients. So I think there was kind of an effort to make things easier for for prescribers to, who wanted to use buprenorphine, and um, um, th that's still a big barrier because even in my large health system, we only have one physician out of all my internists and family medicine doctors who has has signed up for the X waiver. And so uh, again, I think I think pharmacists can definitely. Um, uh, uh, advocate for that the, for the fact that this is a real need in in many communities, and that it you know uh, by the very train by the very setup of of how this is, physicians or, or prescribers are not going to get overwhelmed that first year. I mean, they can only treat a maximum of thirty patients, and so uh, you know that's that will definitely be more work for the average physician office, but certainly nothing that's going to be overwhelming to them. And they can really kind of dip their toe in the water with that as well, and say, you know, gee, is this something I really want to do, or is it I you know I this is just too much of a hassle for my my my, uh, my practice. I don't want to deal with it. I, you know, I think that 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 most physicians are just kind of unaware of the fact they think, well, no, I don't want to have to get an X license for 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 uh, the the D, you know, for to get a DAX license. I don't want to go through all that. I want to pay the extra money. It's just not worth my time. Um, there is a path through, I think, that allows prescribers to do this. Um, <clears throat> So then, you know, the question comes up, I think, you know, you know, why would you want to pick buprenorphine over uh, a methadone? And I think the, 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 the nice part of buprenorphine and the studies, I think, are really pretty clear on this is that it, it actually uh, dr <clears throat> dramatically uh, decreases uh, cravings uh, and and with and, and withdrawal in patients who are, who are, have opioid use disorder. Um, it actually can substitute in many cases for the pain medication somebody with chronic non-malignant pain has. So, I mean, uh, like methadone, uh, you can use buprenorphine as 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 a as a uh, pain treatment as well, right? Um, it actually is FDA approved as a pain treatment is the Butrans patch, and and the patch isn't approved for. Um, um, uh, uh, opioid use disorder, but it obviously, just like methadone, shows that you could you can use buprenorphine for a patient with chronic non-malignant pain and use that not only for their. Uh, uh, not only for their uh, opioid use disorder, but for their pain as well. It's an agonist antagonist. So for the pharmacists, you know, listening and having to think back to to, to pharmacology, um, um, I had a many many years ago in my in my undergraduate uh, uh, training in, at, at Utah, we had a we had a pharmacologist who would always talk about opioid partial agonist. He had a big bad a big Boston accent, so it was like today we're going to talk about partial agonists. So buprenorphine is a partial agonist for for uh, for opioids as we know, and because of that, it has a ceiling. And so um, higher doses of buprenorphine beyond a certain point don't won't increase the risk of respiratory depression or CNS depression. And so that's a huge safety feature of of, uh, of buprenorphine compared to methadone or really anything else. And so um, one of the really, really nice things is that it effectively treats pain at the lower to medium doses. But if someone were to take a whole bunch or someone uh, someone were to, to, you know, say, well, doc, I want to keep going, you know, they have a, a whole bunch of pills lying around. If they take a whole bunch of them, they're 
not going to get an increased risk of respiratory or CNS depression. It actually, because of that ceiling, blunts that because of its partial agonism. Um, the other nice thing is because um, it has, because of this partial agonist uh, effect, it actually has some antagonist effect on certain opioid receptors. And because of that, it allows uh, another safety feature, which is if someone were to take other illicit opioids, let's say you had somebody who is taking uh, the, the sublingual um, a sublingual uh, uh, um, uh, uh, dosage form, and they, you know, decided to take a whole bunch of oxycotton or something along those lines. Because of that blockade at high, at higher doses, they're going to have much less of an effect of of extraneous opioids. So you've got the the benefit of not only you know having a ceiling effect of the drug itself, but also the the uh, the um, a fact that if they take other illicit opioids, they're less likely to get into trouble for it. So, um, you know, so for you know it. It's got several pharmacologic features that makes it a pretty nice drug for patients with opioid use disorder and especially patients who are taking uh, opioids for chronic pain and then developing an opioid use disorder on top of it. <laughs> Now, of course, it's not a perfectly safe medication. It is an opioid. You still can get into get, get into trouble with CNS depression and respiratory depression. I mean, if you were taking an entire bottle of it, you you, you would still have those problems. Um, it, it has. Um, you know, constipation is a side effect. It has, you know, all the other side effects that you, that you would associate with opioids. But um, because of this, this, this blockade, it seems to work pretty good uh, as far, it seems to be pretty safe as, as far as, as far as those things go. So um, toxicity, uh, it, you know, again, as we've kind of discussed, there has been an increase in reports of toxicity, but that's probably just because we're using more buprenorphine than we have ever before. Um, you know, again, uh, we, uh, as far as, is a comparator to methadone, it's not even close. You know, I mean, methadone, as I said, is, is a pretty dangerous medication, in my opinion. And I think that, that you know, higher doses of methadone absolutely do uh, can increase the risk of respiratory depression. Um, and so I think it's, it's one of those things that when you compare the two, I think there's a lot of, of, of benefits to, to, to buprenorphine that you just don't uh, have with methadone. <clears throat> so we've got, you know, uh, um, We've got a medication now that that has been shown pretty conclusively to 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 help with opioid use disorder. We know it to be safer than methadone. In fact, it's safe enough again that patients can actually get a prescription for it and they can actually take it home and and and, and self-administer it. Unlike methadone, um, this does not mitigate uh, some of the some of the things we still have to do with these patients. We still have to make sure that we're not giving them a lot of you know sedative hypnotics. So I mean you know buprenorphine, uh, you know just because it it may be considered a safer drug compared to some of the other opioids doesn't mean if you take a whole bunch of Valium with it, you're not going to get into trouble. So that's something you got to watch out for. Um, uh, we do have to, it, it, there, it is still a controlled substance, so it has all the issues associated with, 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 with controlled substances, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and again, some, some of the rules associated with it, uh, you know, there are still some barriers to its use. It doesn't give you any, of course, any of the psychological tools that these patients are going to need. So you can't just open up shop tomorrow and say, hey, I'm going to get my X waiver and put the next 30 patients I have with opioid use disorder on this medication and see what happens. You do have to develop a program, and this program is going to mean, you know, these people seeking counseling, if they have other issues with depression, anxiety, those things need to be treated. Um, uh, if there are other ways to treat their pain that are non-pharmacologic, we have to look at that as well. 
and you would still have all kind of the the legal requirements you would have with any sort of opioid use disorder as far as them signing contracts uh getting random urine drug screens to make sure that 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 they're that they're not taking other illicit medications so it is important to note that most standard uh, urine drug screens will not show up uh buprenorphine will not show up in most standard urine drug screens because that's just not a, not a standard opioid that's going to show up in 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 the one in the standard urine drug screens you'd have to get so you'd have to have order especially either plasma levels or a special urinary screen for it. So keep that in mind. Um, so, you know, I, I, I guess my bottom line is, is, is that, is that, you know, how can pharmacists help? So I'm giving kind of telling you all this data about buprenorphine. Hopefully this isn't new to you. Hopefully you've known about buprenorphine and realized that it's got, it's a, a pretty good medication. Um, you know, we have this huge gap in this country where, <clears throat> Despite barriers, we've got a whole population of patients who would probably benefit from buprenorphine. How do we how do we get to them on that? And uh, you know, since pharmacists again in most states are not going to have the prescriptive authority to do that, um, uh, I think it certainly for for those of you who are uh, who have good relationships with your state board of pharmacy, maybe thinking and having collaborative practice agreements, maybe thinking about uh, starting a collaborative practice agreement with a physician and and seeing if if your board of pharmacy would agree to some sort of pilot project where you would help them start a, a opioid use disorder clinic. That's probably not going to happen in, in, in most states, though. So I think what, what community pharmacists and hospital pharmacists can do is, is when you see somebody coming in and you note that they you know, are on high doses of, of, of you know, oxycodone or, or Vicodin or whatever they're on, and you're, you're pretty sure they have an opioid use disorder, you know, it is reasonable to, to, to you know, even administer, and there are several very quick tests, you know, the three, four question tests just to see, you know, do they have an opioid use disorder? If so, you know, you know at you know, not being judgmental, but offering help and saying, look, you know, there are uh, programs out there. Um, they're sometimes not easy to get into because there's a lot of people trying to get into them, but there are programs which that will help you give you the psychological tools to help with opioid use disorder. And we do have medications that will effectively treat your pain. And that's an important piece to tell them. It will effectively treat their pain and that, and, and but will also protect them from, from, uh, 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 overdoses and, and some of the issues associated with overdoses. And you're able to back off on that over time and people still get pretty good pain relief and, and, and uh, it, it, it helps treat their opioid use disorder. So, you know, again, you know, buprenorphine is not a new drug. It's been around for a long time, but but we 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 know it works. We know it's much safer than methadone. We know that that it, it can be a, a valuable tool in in this in this epidemic that we're fighting. Would that we had as valuable a tool in the COVID crisis to treat COVID as we do with buprenorphine and 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 and, and the opioid crisis. And so I think pharmacists at at a minimum. Can can work with their prescribers. See if there's someone in their in their town or city who has an X waiver would be interested in getting one, getting them the information to do that, and then you know screening patients and helping helping get them the help they need because this is an epidemic that is not going to go away even if we came up uh, tomorrow with a, with a vaccine for COVID, which which we would, but we're probably not going to. Uh, this this was not abating. This this the the opioid uh, crisis was leveling off just because of of decrease in prescribing, but it was still a real big issue. And and I think that's something we have really have to come to terms with as a profession in these patients. So, uh, so that's kind of today's thing. Um, a quick reminder uh, that uh, CEI Impact has great programming, uh, great CE programs, a lot of options for you to choose from. And so, you know, check out their website. Uh, this is part of that, obviously, but there's a 
lot of other great, great programming that's uh, CE eligible that you can get. So not only get your CE taken care of, but I think get some really good information that is going to directly impact your practice. And uh, you can talk about that here in just a second. Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Nation, are you tired of searching for meaningful CE? CE Impact brings learning to you through a continuing education subscription service. That's right, no more searching. It comes directly to your inbox, and it's really good. Subscribe today at ceimpact.com to receive a hot topic CE course on the first of every month. You'll also receive bonus content and tools to implement your learning. Plus, participate in a live journal club, Continuing Education, on the second Wednesday of every month to keep up on evidence-based information. If you want to keep searching for good CE, you might or might not find it, and you'll waste a lot of time searching. Or you can sign up today to get CE Impact's subscription service and have all the CE you need when you need it. It's that easy. Once again, go to ceimpact.com and sign up for the subscription service. Don't waste another minute. ceimpact.com. Let the learning come to you. So to wrap up, um, I hope this uh, this uh, detour from COVID to the other big uh, epidemic we're dealing with uh, wasn't too depressing. But I, I think you know this is something that that it, it's a medication uh, that uh, buprenorphine is a medication that we've used for a long time. It's been around for a long time. Yet, like naltrexone for um, uh, uh, ethanol cravings, it's a drug that has really fallen under the radar of most uh, prescribers. And I think pharmacists uh, can help both prescribers and patients become aware of this very valuable treatment um, uh, for, for, for opioid use disorder. That's it for me this week. Uh, next week, we'll talk about something new. I'm sure we will. So hope you have a good week. Remember that uh, um, time flies. We don't know where it's going, but remember that the most important day is today. Take care.